right, Charles, here we are. We've made it to the end of season six, to the end of the series, Northern Exposure. And uh, at the end of every season, we go back into a sort of retrospective where we talk about our favorite moments, uh, favorite episodes, just kind of reviewing the season overall. And that's what we intend to do today with season six. But as I said, we're also at the end of the series, Northern Exposure. So we're going to expand this to include the entire series. Now, I have to say, this is a monumental task. I mean, we, the podcast itself, you know, covering 110 episodes of a series is a big task. And trying to go back and review all those, I have to say, you know, I could never feel prepared to do this, but I did my best going back and trying to relive my favorite moments. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll definitely get into the series overall. We're going we're gonna to start with season six. But before we do any of that, I just wanted to toss it to you, Charles, and see uh, how do you feel and what was it like gearing up for this moment, for this podcast? <laughs> well, I would be lying if I said it wasn't emotional because it is the end of 100 plus episodes, years of our lives, hours and hours of work, and, you know... I think that most of all, what I'm going to miss is just having you here, Lee, just talking every week about, well, anything. I mean, granted, the discussions were more focused toward Northern Exposure, of course, but really, it was just really nice to talk to you every single week, Lee. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, you know, it's not like we don't talk uh, outside of the podcast. We talk a lot um, not about Northern Exposure, but it is really just... I mean, we say it on a lot of the episodes of the podcast that sharing the show, talking about it with someone else makes the experience of the show even better. And then, yeah, I'm just always curious about your point of view. And I, I think um, your thoughts enlighten me and they also inspire yeah, deeper appreciation and like new directions for me to explore when I'm watching these, uh, when I'm watching Northern Exposure. And yeah, I mean, we shouldn't give up podcasting after this. It's, you know, it's not like uh, we've reached the end of Northern Exposure. We're going to stop podcasting, but we can talk about that a little more towards the end. Uh, there's no like huge, big surprise. So I'm not trying to like clickbait anyone here, but I want to focus on, um, you know, what What do we do next? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later. And of course, what we're going to miss both me and you, Lee, is the people that are emailing us and tweeting at us and just contacting us in general about their thoughts about our podcast. Whenever we get a message from y'all, we always appreciate what you're saying, uh, even if you are yelling at us. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that's still constructive criticism. But we deeply appreciate everyone that's ever mailed in to us and told us how much they enjoyed the podcast and listening along with us. That is something that really makes this endeavor worth it because otherwise, we're just shouting into the void. Yeah, I would be lying if I said I didn't get an ego boost from the positive fan mail that we get. But I think the real the real special feeling behind that is uh, just hearing from fans of Northern Exposure and hearing how, you know, I feel similar to other fans when I say like the show has definitely moved me and changed my life. And it's uh, just very affirming to hear from other people that the show is just monumentally important to them. 
And uh, of course, it's always great to hear when people are acknowledging this, you know, these podcasts that we publish and put out, our, uh, our work on, you know, talking about this series. Uh, but it just really is special connecting to other fans of the series. And I think I said this um, before on the podcast, uh, but I remember the very first piece of fan mail that we received and I was having like a particularly hard day. Um, I had just gotten like a rejection letter from a film festival. I had, you know, just finished a film that I was very proud of and was certain that it would make it into uh, a lot of film festivals. And it, it it did eventually get into a few film festivals, but surprisingly was rejected by many. And I got this rejection letter, really soured my mood. And then within an hour or so, we got our first bit of fan mail and it was just, yeah, it was just super affirming. And I knew then and there that we had to keep doing this podcast no matter what. Not that I was planning on quitting the podcast or anything at that moment, but it just felt like the right thing. Right, 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 right. And I know how valuable it is to receive positive feedback, you know, to get constructive criticism, to have people support you in your endeavor. But it's one thing to know about it, and it's a whole nother thing to experience it, which is, you know, it's just something that happens whenever you actually get to do things and you grow older. Uh, now that I'm on the receiving end of receiving y'all's wonderful fan mail, now I know to be like, okay, this actually makes a difference to the person on the other line. I need to do this more. Like, I need to go to my favorite creators and content yeah. people and email them and be like, hey, I think you're doing a wonderful job. Let me talk to you about this. Because I know that, like, it feels like they don't, you know, pay attention to it. And I'm not saying all of them do. I'm not I'm not putting out that. Now, I don't, I don't know if, like, Steven Spielberg is checking his email every <laughs> single week for, for the fan mails. But I do know that people, especially of the smaller caliber, are definitely paying attention to what they're receiving in their emails and reading along with everybody. And it's a great feeling, like you said, Lee, to know that, you know, it's not just, like, validation. It's just knowing that you know, we're making like a positive impact on other people's lives. And in return, it's like a feedback loop. Y'all are making a positive impact on us. Yeah, it definitely has a, a, a huge impact for us. And so if you, you want to write us an email, good or bad, once again, that email is northernoverexposurepodcast at gmail.com. I think that's the easiest um, way for us to receive uh, any sort of messages. We're also on Twitter and Facebook, but yeah, you know, Charles, you've mentioned this before on the podcast. You're pretty much not on many or any social media platforms. For instance, for Facebook, I have to kind of just like forward it to you or like take a screenshot <laughs> to show you. So Charles well, really doesn't hardly get to see what happens on Facebook. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I'm I'm ahead of the times now. <laughs> Haven't you seen the youth? They're they're getting off of not. I mean, they've been off of Facebook for years at this point, yeah. and they were off of Twitter. But now I read recently that they're getting off of tiktok now oh nice they're 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 touching grass man I, I don't know what the zoomers are doing but they are they are leaving social media i was just ahead of them by like a decade yeah trendsetter uh well okay yeah there's i really want to um this is going to be i feel like a lot of sort of amorphous just like a lot of things we can talk about overall but since we have something to chew on first season six there's not a whole lot that I want to necessarily focus on. I mean, there's plenty. So maybe we start with season six retrospective and then we'll get that out of the way. 
and go on to just the series overall, the podcast overall, and just our feelings at the end of uh, at the end of this long journey. But starting with season six, yeah, maybe we should just kind of give our thoughts. Uh, let me lead off by saying I was very nervous going to this season. I think I said it before. I don't remember enjoying it very much, though I do remember some key plot moments, and those were like uh, full upright position, upriver, the quest, like things like that. And I also largely forgot the series finale, but I remembered the song and I remembered the the ending of uh, Tranquility Base, Our Town. Um, but what I'm trying to say here is I was very nervous about approaching season six and pleasantly surprised to say that I would recommend any fan of Northern Exposure, you should watch every episode in season six. That's the completionist in me, but also I think there's, I mean, it's, if I'm speaking truthfully, it's not going to be as good as the other seasons, but I think it's still worth it for for what you get from a show like Northern Exposure. But Charles, what are your thoughts having finished season six? What was it going in? Like, what do you what do you think now coming out of it? Yeah. So whenever we do these retrospectives, we look through our notes, we look through all the episodes that we've watched, and even on season six, even on the the one that everyone likes to dog on, uh, for valid reasons. I still found myself being like, whoa, I forgot that this episode aired this season. That was a good episode. Yeah. And it, that always happens every retrospective where I review all the episodes that I've forgotten because it takes us about like a year to do each season. And I remember like, oh, wow, like that is the episode where Joel got like swallowed by a fish. Like, oh, wow, like that's <laughs> the one where, you know, there was a letter involved and Maggie saw her past self. So even in season six, I found myself just having my memory be jogged on all of these episodes that were still great in season six that I just simply forgot because honestly, it kind of feels like two different television shows in the first half of season six. And then once the quest happens, when Joel leaves, it just takes on a different flavor that we've been in for so long that I just forgot about the Joel flavor. Yeah, a lot of things changed this season. You know, we lost Rob Morrow in the last, was it like eight episodes of Northern Exposure? Uh, no more Rob Morrow on the call sheet. No more Joel Fleischman, though there are a couple mentions of him. Uh, but we did gain some new characters, like obviously uh, the Capras, Phil Capra and Michelle Capra. And uh, also Heather Haynes. Uh, she was introduced in the second episode of season six, uh, Eye of the Beholder. Mm -hmm. So um, this is kind of like her, you know, what's it called? Like a start, work and finish. You know, she begins in the beginning of uh, season six and is like she I think the last episode she's in his balls. And I'm trying to think what other sort of new additions. Those are definitely the big main characters that I can think of. Hayden Keys uh, definitely fills a bigger role though. I, I think, uh, he was still there obviously in the, in the previous season, but, um, what do you think about Phil Capra and Michelle Capra? Those are kind of the biggest, uh, changes here in season six. Yeah. So as characters, I really did enjoy them, especially on their intro episode, Sons of the Tundra. I was really big on them there. And I was thinking like, yeah, like this is going to be a great addition. They have like a Similarity to Joel, but still completely different. Like, we're going to get some new spin on this. But 
as we continued watching them throughout the season, I, I just wasn't in love with the plot line where, you know, where Michelle and Phil just kept bickering and came close to a divorce. We've talked about it frequently on the pod where we felt that a lot of their arguments kind of took on a very nasty spin and just were very uncharacteristically Northern exposure. And I think those are the moments that weaken me on them, but that's not like, that's not the fault of the characters. It's like mostly the fault of the writing. Mm-hmm. So I'm willing to give them a little bit more pass right there. Cause I, I don't believe that they should have been in those situations. But when we take a look at them at a macro level, I do think that the great additions to the town of Sicily, uh, it's almost to the point that like, I kind of wish they would have got introduced earlier yeah, so that we could have had more episodes with Phil and Michelle interacting with Joel, because I think there's only like one episode where Phil comes with Joel on a, on a hunting trip. Yeah. That's a real politic. And they play like this game of, uh, like, uh, it's like golf. It's golf, but I wanted to give it that adjective of like, off-road golfing or something, you know, what did you call that? <laughs> extreme um, golfing? Extreme golfing. You know, now that I think about it, I don't think Michelle ever meets Joel, does she? I don't I, think I mean, so. <laughs> if they did, it's a very, it's yeah. a very small scene. Like, no, like, not a she, plot uh, I think there's, I just still remember loving that. It's like a moment where they're looking at like a brochure or a picture of Joel Fleischman. And I think it's Phil who says it. It could be Michelle, but it's like, what happened to this man? You know, they're like, they wanted this mystery around Joel who went upriver and like, is it going to happen to us? Uh, I, I want to also give my thoughts quickly on Phil and Michelle. So, uh, yeah, I remember when I first watched Northern Exposure for the first time, I was pretty disinterested in these two characters. Watching the season six this time, I actually really... I'm really impressed with um, Michelle uh, Terry Polo. I think she's a really great actor. Um, she has some really good moments, I think, in this season. Um, and I do like Phil. You know, I kind of, yeah, there's kind of, there's some similarities to Joel and there's some great differences. Yeah, I, it's it's like Phil is a similar reboot to the character of Joel. However, like I know that they are going to try to take this in a different direction. And I think the instincts they have with the character, the the instincts that the writers have with these characters are okay. I agree with you. I don't think they ever really deliver. And there's a lot of, um, their sort of character progression gets mired towards the end of the season. I think I had a similar feeling rewatching season four talking about Mike Monroe, the bubble man, mm-hmm. I was like ready to give him another chance. And I think I really do like, uh, the idea of this bubble man, Mike Monroe, the actor, uh, Anthony Edwards. I, I think I've just grown to love more and more. Even after season four, I've started watching more media that, uh, he's in movies and TV and stuff. He's great. Um, but it's a similar feeling here in season six where, you know, I appreciate this direction, but I don't think they uh, stuck the landing on it. You know, we actually just recorded a Patreon episode where we were talking about our favorite series finales. And I was thinking about the picks that I had chosen, uh, Parks and Recreation and New Girl. And in those two shows, the leads leave the town 
And not only just the leads, like sometimes like a new girl, like everybody leaves the central location of where they are every single episode. And that got me thinking about the series finale in Northern Exposure and how we both remarked on this, how, uh, you know, they didn't know that it was coming to an end by the time they filmed it. Had they known, they probably would have done different choices. But there is a strong part of me that really feels that, you know, maybe we should have had more people leave. And I get why they have them stay, because Sicily is their home. They're not trying to downplay Sicily. They're trying to say, like, this is where we all gathered, and plus we just had Joel leave. You know, maybe that's, like, a little bit too risky. But I don't know. I I think that a character leaving gives it a very bittersweet but also optimistic tone. And when I'm saying all this because I wanted to ask you on how you felt about Chris and Maggie's relationship and where you think that should have went or if it shouldn't have happened and stuff like that. And while I was thinking about that question, the thing that came to my mind was saying like, you know, I kind of wish Maggie would have just left. (laughs) I wish she would have just left Sicily. Yeah. I don't think, uh, this is a good thing to talk about. I I totally, for whatever reason, I think I blacked it out when I was talking about the biggest changes in season six is, uh, the romance between Chris and Maggie. Yeah, no, I, I don't think they should have done it. You know, I, when we were rewatching season six, I was like, okay, I'm going to go with this and see what's happening. We talked about this before on the podcast, but it definitely feels like with each new episode, their relationship grows stronger. But then at the start of the next episode, it's like back to square one. It's like, wait, weren't they getting closer? And Mm-hmm. It's always kind of back and forth. It seems like they're making progress and then they're back a step. Yeah, I agree with you. Maybe the smart decision would be to just have Maggie step out of this relationship and leave Sicily. Maybe not go that far. Uh, maybe the solution is just not to have the relationship at all. But I'm okay with maybe seeing a few episodes going in that direction, but it just didn't feel right in the end. It, it definitely... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I Overall, I guess to simplify it, I don't like the Maggie and Chris romance. Okay, so the thing that's prohibiting Maggie from dating Chris is Joel. Because, you know, Chris was just off of the equation. He just wasn't on her mind if Joel was still in town. And now that Joel left, she is shoehorned with Chris. But what fundamentally changed, other than the absence of Joel made Chris and Maggie want to get together. It wasn't like Joel instilled something in her that taught her to look inwards toward Chris. Or just the way the show made it out to be was what I had said earlier. It was just that Joel was there. And now that he's not there, they can be together. And it feels unearned, in my opinion. I would have liked if they were going to set these two leads off if Joel would have had an episode to instill in her something that made Chris her, you know, her boyfriend. I would be interested. I would be interested to see what that is, but Mm -hmm. I don't see, I still don't see it, but maybe there's a way they can, I see what you're saying. Like maybe there's a way they could work that angle to make more sense because it doesn't make sense as it is, as it stands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's my, my big complaint about the season is that we've talked about this frequently but it's like they were afraid of having her just be maggie the mayor maggie the business owner maggie the bush pilot 
and they they wanted there to be like, oh, it's Maggie with somebody. And I, I really wish they would have found another way to have tied it more cleverly or just, you know, just let her be the things that I just labeled. Yeah, it de- definitely feels very un-Maggie to want to like hunker down with a guy, you know, I feel like she's uh, so much an independent woman and uh, like prides her strength in, you know, being herself and following the things that she wants, not necessarily attaching it to a man uh, or even a partner. So it, it felt a little contrary to Maggie. Yeah. I don't know what m- more I can say on this. Uh, well, we can move off I'll, of it because yeah. I don't, I don't want to be, this is like the retrospective. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to be too negative. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm sorry. I apologize if I am. Uh, no, no, no. But, but these are some of the issues with season six. Right, right, right. Yeah. Which we know that plenty of fans do have a bone to pick with it. But uh, maybe we can turn the topic to our favorite episodes of season six. Uh, favorite moments too, if you have any. But I think uh, typically we do like a top five list of our favorite episodes in the season. Mm -hmm. So we could start with that. And I can't remember how we normally do it, but I feel like we alternate or should we go all? Okay. I think we just alternate. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll go first uh, because mine's a really simple one. So coming in at number five for me for season six, it is the very first episode, Dinner at 730. Nice. It's a great intro into this final season. And I don't know. I just like it when they step out of Sicily. Not that I have a you know, problem with the town. It just right. makes it more interesting, a, bit, a different, a different setting. And I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I'll say it again. I really like that scene of Joel just jumping on the trampoline. I think that's such a cool scene. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's so, so wonderful. And I was, I was seeing it and rethinking about it. I'm saying like, ah, oh, that's such a good, uh, such a good imagery. And like together really with the is. writer and the director together. That's, they, yeah. they really made that come true. And it's like a, um, I mean, I could be sort of misremembering it, but I feel like there's just like a scene of him jumping and then hopping off and maybe like catching his breath. Like there's not, there's just like a dedicated scene or a dedicated beat to where Mm -hmm. it's literally just him jumping on a trampoline. Like it's not a dialogue thing. You're just watching this and you're like, interesting. I'm watching Joel jump on a trampoline. And to us, when we're seeing that, Charles, we're like, what does this mean? This means (laughs) something. And I think we had a lot, yeah, we had some great uh, analysis or conversation at least about what was happening there. I also have a lot to say about, or, you know, I have some stuff I could say about this episode cause it's in my top five, but I'll, maybe I'll wait till we get there in my list. Mm, okay. So what is your top five? Okay. So I've got a number five and I also have a close six that I'll just quickly, I'll do my close like runner up that almost made it was, uh, the mommy's curse. That was an episode that when we saw it, like in the run of the podcast, I was like, this is a pretty good episode. But when I totaled all of my like rankings of every episode, it's actually one of the better episodes, I think, in season six, at least in my memory. Probably is my bias because we had the director on the podcast, Michael Lang. He returned to talk about that episode. But I just wanted to give it a quick shout out because it, you know, I thought it was okay when we saw it. And then just looking at the series overall or the season overall, I was like, wow, that's actually a lot better just in comparison. I thought that was a pretty good one. So my number five, though, is The Graduate, which is like the Casey at the Bat episode. And Chris is trying to get his degree. 
I think if if I had to recommend someone watching season six, it's like you can't stop watching after the quest because the graduate is there. One of the better episodes in season six, I think. Uh, there's also like a subplot with uh, Hollings, like nephew sort of thing. He's do you remember the the kid that he's sort of like pays child support to? Mm-hmm. That that guy, uh, Patrick Dulac was his name. And, uh, you know, Ed and Heather Haynes are working at Maggie's movie theater. That's fun. Maggie has a movie theater. That that was just a fun episode. And I think a, a fun podcast as well, because we had um, Johnny Awesome as the guest, the comedian Johnny Awesome. And he was just so much fun chatting with. Well, I can actually talk about this because sliding into number four for me is The Graduate. Nice. So don't let anybody tell you that there's no good episodes after Joel leaves because The Graduate is a great episode right there. And I think that my favorite parts of that one is, one, the dialogue. Mm -hmm. I mentioned this before on the podcast, but there were a lot of great words and just exchanges between Chris and the two professors that still live in in my mind. Like, Ballywick. I use that word now. Like, oh, it's not within one's Ballywick. What's the other one that I also use? Oh, his Basilica. I, I used that one. Nice. So I have cribbed from Northern Exposure those two particular words. And yeah, I really like the end with Casey at the bat. And Chris is just hammering home the point with the two professors. It's snowing. It's outside in a different set that we usually see. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for it, man. Number four. All right. My number four is Eye of the Beholder. It is our last appearance of Reynaldo Pinetree, the private investigator. And I just, I really love this character. He's in like, I honestly think he's only in one other episode, if I'm remembering correctly. It's uh, Blood Ties in season five, I want to say. I could be wrong, but I just really like that character. And I love the relationship with Ed. You know, this is our introduction to Heather Haynes Mm -hmm. and uh, this sort of shady sort of scam. It's kind of like your classic film noir, uh, film, uh, femme fatale rather. Um, there's also a subplot with Maggie. Uh, she, she regrets giving up this, uh, cast iron mechanical bank to a donation for like the, uh, the library's like raffle. Do you remember that plot line? It's very controversial. Uh, only I think, now, with us. only yeah. now do I remember we had a lot yeah. of feelings. Cause it's, uh, yeah, it's a, that's an interesting one, I think. I think uh, whether we liked it or didn't like it, I think it was a lot to talk about there. Uh, I thought that was a great conversation. And um, the other major plot line is Maurice. He has a bad, a lot of his, like these cases of wine that went bad. And so he donates those to the, um, it's like a, a fundraiser auction for the, for the library, I, I want to say. Mm-hmm. So he's just doing that to like kind of get rid of it, like maybe even a tax write-off, I think. And Holling ends up purchasing, you know, buying that from the auction. Holling loves the wine, even though it's spoiled. But Mm -hmm. I think that's that was also an interesting idea to think about is like people's taste, um, like not just like uh, the one of the five senses, but like your appreciation of. I don't know, just, you know, what's the, how would you describe that? You know, the taste in the other sense that makes, if that makes sense. Uh, I think there is a, uh, what's the word? Umami? Is is that the word? (laughs) No, I'm not talking about like the five senses, but like your, uh, your taste in music or your taste in literature. It's not just like the, the thing that your tongue does. 
Um, oh. Which is, was, you know, I think there's a His lot of conversation could be, um, yeah, your preference. Yeah. The conversation can then be extrapolated past just like Holling thinks the wine tastes good, but his appreciation and preference for things uh, don't have to be, uh, for lack of a better word, snobby or whatever. But, you know, you know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not just that. Like someone who's uh, maybe more experienced in uh, the wine culture. I don't know. I don't know how you would describe it, but uh, that's a, that's a good podcast episode to listen to. I think. Yeah, that one was a really fun episode. I remember the big thing for me on that was the dollhouse. And I think that, yeah, I want to say oh it's like Shelly going through that. the, um, yeah, Shelly goes through the, through the dollhouse itself and <laughs> she's like literally in it and she's having all yeah. of these, uh, you know, famous dream sequences within there. And yeah, I think that is the thing that stands out to me. And that's definitely the winner of the plot line for that one. That is an interesting pick. So for me at number three, I would actually give it to Sons of the Tundra. Which is the, yeah, the yeah. introduction of the cabras. And I think a common theme for me whenever I pick these episodes is how much impact the episode had on me and how many moments stay within me. So if I can like picture a shot from right. the episode, yeah. that's a winner. And in a lot of ways, that's kind of how I evaluate a lot of my media. It's not a great mm-hmm. method. I do not, <laughs> I do not recommend this, but I love it when something can have a measurable impact on me. I don't like watching something and at the end of it, a week, two weeks later, I don't remember anything from there. Like I, I know like the vague <laughs> log line of what happens. I love it when I can just grab a scene straight from there and I'll always remember it within my head. And for this episode, Sons of the Tundra, it is the scene where Michelle dips down into the river to go get her keys. And oh, yeah. I think she like falls into it. Um, and it's uh it's a great symbolization of her rebirth into Sicily, Alaska. Yeah, I forgot about that. And that's what a great way, you know, what a great intro for these characters um in Sons of the Tundra, like you know, Phil and Michelle. Uh another thing that I really liked about that episode, it's not in my top five, but uh it's kind of brief, but I do, I'm glad that they included it and I, I kind of wish they would expand it a little bit, but um, I like how Shelly has like a very small plot line portion of the episode where she kind of talks about uh, she's unhappy with being excluded from Sons of the Tundra Club or, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that uh, Randy, when she grows up, you know, she's going to be excluded from clubs like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like, I like her raising that argument. I just thought that was interesting. That was also a really fun episode to record because that one was our one and only one in which we did in a moving oh vehicle. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. We started. That was great. We, I think we started in. Super uh, fun. What? Is it Wichita Falls? We started Falls? in Texas somewhere. I think it's Wichita yeah, Falls. Right? We started. Okay. And then, I mean, we we definitely didn't. <laughs> it would be bad if, like, if we got out of Texas before we finished because Texas is so long of a <laughs> haul, you know, long of a trek. Uh, no, we've definitely finished it. I don't remember where, but it was definitely, we were still in Texas, I'm sure. Um, okay, well, let's see. My number three is The Great Mushroom. I think this is uh, many of a fan's uh, favorite episode in season six. Maggie goes to visit Joel and Mananash. To me, it was kind of corny, but there's all these uh, hallucinations that Maggie has of Joel dying in unexpected ways. 
But I really do like the end of this episode. And I can also, like you're saying, I can remember the shot and like the graduated like filter that they put on the lens where like the sky is really orange. Wait, am I thinking of, I might be thinking of might makes right actually, but there's a, there's a, there's a similar ending in the great mushroom, right? Where they're standing out in the snow. Yeah. 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 That is yeah. a very famous one. The, the visual, maybe I've got the visual <laughs> confused with uh, might makes right. Cause I remember that also having a, let me just check right now. Yep, I'm misremembering it with Might Makes Right. But in this episode, Joel kind of threads the whole idea together at the end that we're like all part of this interconnected web, like the mushrooms that are underground. I think it's a a great metaphor, if maybe a little heavy-handed, just the way it's kind of tying everything together. But I do appreciate that. There's some issues with this episode, but I still think it's one of the better in the season. Uh, Also, because... Of the Phil and Michelle plotline. I think that might even be, I might prefer that even more than the Joel and Maggie plotline, which sounds maybe sacrilegious to some fans, but the Phil and Michelle plotline is, um, they end up like at the very beginning of the episode, they have like a dinner party and then some of the guests, um, they have to stay over because they're like, they traveled from a little bit further away and the roads are snowing. So Phil and Michelle are, basically hosting uh, this couple for the next like three or four days. And I really like seeing the interaction between Phil and Michelle struggle with how they're going to deal with this. And um, I think one of my favorite Terry Polo moments of the season is like the climax in this episode when she remembers, I think it was like Thanksgiving or the holidays with her family and being like, huddled up close all in the same house and things like that. I don't know if you recall this, uh, mm-hmm. no, this plot I line. Yeah. So that's my number three. Well, that is good because that's actually my number two. So now yes. I can talk about it as well. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think that the imagery of Joel with his arms outstretched and he's telling Maggie out in the snow that, you know, it, it doesn't matter that I'm going to be leaving because we're all connected underneath underground. There's a system of life that just bridges the divide and will always be together. And yeah, like you said, no one's going to not understand the subtext of that, but it's still a very good send off for Joel right there. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's what earned it a very top spot for me. Now, as for the other plot lines, I do like that one about the Capras that you mentioned and that this is where I thought that the caverns were going to be a little bit different because I liked how they resolved yeah. it because <laughs> it wasn't like it, it demonstrated that Phil and Michelle were adults and that they could handle things like adults. Cause I liked that they talked it out amongst each other. Like they were a team. They were like husband and wife. And then, you know, they didn't follow through with that. But anyway, that doesn't matter because in the great mushroom, they do. And that's what makes it great. And also, let's not forget that this is the computer plot line, which I'm not a big fan of. This is, this Ed, is Ed is afraid of computers, right? Yeah, yeah. And then he uh, yeah. he has Phil for help, and then he also has Walt for help. And Walt's got like that banger, like, it's like a bar graph, but it only has like three things <laughs> that it's mapping out. And it looks like you could have just drawn it. Like you did not need a computer to make these three bar graphs. Of like what he was catching. I think it was like Wolverine, Ferret, and Weasel. And it's like, it's so yeah. simplistic. It's the funniest, like out of context now in like 2024, it's the funniest image. Yeah. And I think Walt also like talks about 
doing stocks and stuff. So he's like connected to the internet out there somehow. What? I don't. Yeah, he's ahead it. of the times. He he was there for the dot com burst. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, okay, my number two. Uh, okay, my number one and number two are very close. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna say my number two is the quest. I feel like this is many people's favorite episode in season six. It's uh, a lot of fans say this is where you should stop watching the series. Uh, but as, I, as we've already mentioned, The Graduate's great. There's there's good episodes to come afterwards. We, we talked about it a lot on the podcast episode. That's a great podcast, I think, that we recorded. It's a really good ending, I think, for Joel. It's interesting. It's kind of uh, strange in that magical realism, northern exposure way. I think that there's this plot line with Chris and Dr. Capra that's a little on edge, but I like the resolution of it. Um, where Chris apologizes to Dr. Capra. But I mean, what can you say? Just it's such an important moment for the season and the series overall to have Joel and Maggie go out on this quest. Um, I'm assuming this might be in your top five as well. So, but if it's not, I can keep chatting about it. Or if you wanted to say anything, speak now. <laughs> well, it is actually my number one. We keep All right. we keep going in and out right here. We're following through. Uh, I had to give it number one. And it, I mean, it's like partly because, like you said, it's like the line of demarcation. It's where Joel leaves. It has important value outside of the context of the episode. And then within the episode itself, it is just a really cool one to watch. Like the plot line itself. So they get like a treasure map with Joel and Maggie and they got to go track it down. That is just I, I really like that. That very... Yeah, love it. You know, I still think about that bridge scene. You know, the one where they're like, oh, the bridge is like locked. Oh, yeah. And, it's, gotta, and like, Adam is there. there. Or Gustav yeah. is what he calls yeah. himself. Yeah. So good. And in the end, when I think about season six, I think about the quest. That's got to mm-hmm. be the most standout moment of the entire season for me, even more than the series finale, which... Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, we talked about it. Listeners, you can just go go to your feed where you get podcasts. Just go to like the very next one. That's like (laughs) where we're going to be talking about it. Yeah, I just feel like I'm not saying that Northern Exposure should end right then. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, let the record show that I I put an episode past this into my top five. I'm just saying that this is where, uh, you know, maybe maybe this is where the tippy top is. Maybe this is where the peak is. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, Charles, I wonder if you could guess my number one, just looking at, I don't think it's tranquility base. So surprisingly, I, Oh my uh, God, is it? No, 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 no. I was just going to say surprisingly when, uh, when I was ranking all the episodes, I did talk pretty favorably about it on the podcast last week or, you know, last episode. And I do think it's like a, yeah, I, I did like, enjoy the episode, but it's, it's maybe one of my least favorite episodes in, it's not the worst (laughs) episode season six, but in the rankings, it's like. You know, that's not to say that it's like crap. I still like the episodes that are not so great in this season. It's just, you know, it's one of those not so great ones in my rankings. It turned out that final ending, the number, like they really, well, we, we mentioned this last week, listen to us uh, talk about how much we like Tranquility Base Our Town, but that ending is so good. 
But can you guess now with what's left, what, what my number one would be? I, um, so I was looking through all the episodes really quickly and, okay, uh, let's play a game of where we narrow it down like little by little. So is okay. it past the quest or is it before the quest? I was going to say, I thought it'd be easy. So we'll, we'll make this quick, but it's before the quest. Before the quest. Okay. Then is it going to be real politic? No, that was a pretty good one though. That was kind of a close, maybe seven to my list. Um, I'll give you one more shot because I thought it would be obvious, but oh, okay. Uh, is it one that I've uh, that is I've already included in my top five? It actually is, yeah. <laughs> oh, so is it dinner at seven thirty? It's dinner at seven thirty. Yeah, uh, there we go. I, you know, I remember this episode. Uh, there's very few things in season six that I had remembered because I'd only seen it once before. I, I would never rewatch season six um, before doing the podcast. But I mean, maybe the quest is a better episode, but I just remember. When we were doing the podcast, I was so blown away by the direction they took the season premiere. And I thought, and it's not like the greatest episode of Northern Exposure, but I was just like such a breath of fresh air. Again, like you had already mentioned, it's like, it's not in Sicily. It's an episode that takes place outside of Sicily. And a lot of the um, characters and relationships are different and off. And it's like not what we would necessarily sign up for when we want to tune into Northern Exposure. But to me, looking at season six as the final season of Northern Exposure. And again, I'm almost like pretty positive when they were creating this episode, they didn't realize it would be. I mean, maybe they had an idea, but I think there's a lot we can interpret from this episode as a sort of swan song, like this is our last season, or at least as a way of saying, you know, we made it to the sixth season. What does it mean now? Like, you know, like, are we looking back? Like, are we over the hill? You know what I'm saying? It's like, how do we, mm -hmm. how do we deal with uh, where we are now as a series? You know, uh, probably dropping in uh, viewership. You know, uh, things have definitely changed with, you know, not even inside the show, but outside the show. Uh, Rob Morrow is starting to work on movies in Hollywood. And, you know, there's probably some uh, arguments between him and the production. Some of these stars are becoming super famous. I mean, by the third and fourth season and fifth season, this was like a mega hit of a show. So I don't know. It's a lot of like meta contextual stuff, but I think it was very fun for me to watch that episode. And I still stand by the ending of Dinner at 730. That would be a cool ending for the entire series. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. And, you know, I had it at my number five, but that does not right. mean that I disliked it. The right. reason that I put it at number five is because it was so out there and divorced from regular Northern Exposure that to me personally, I felt it a little bit odd if I put it like as my number one. Uh, but I totally see the reasoning behind it. And, you know, in actuality, you can make a very strong argument that it should be number one because it is, in fact, the most Northern Exposure episode ever. Like, <laughs> imagine seeing this on any other television show. Like, this is your season premiere. Yeah. You're going to warp them out of the town, and the characters are going to be not completely different variations, but uh, enough of a uh, a twist on them. And you have to know the characters well enough to navigate throughout this entire episode. And you also get a very heartwarming resolution to it all, where it comes together at the end, and you can see where Joel's path is. So yeah, I agree with you. I think that this is a great pick for number one. 
Yeah, thanks. Yeah. And I also agree, like I was just saying, uh, the quest and this one were kind of tied for me. So also, you know, the top five. Uh, oh, I probably should have said this way ahead, but these are just our, obviously our own opinions and we're probably a hundred percent wrong. There's no scientifical, sorry, there's no scientific, uh, reasoning behind any of this. Honestly, I just like went over all the episodes, kind of watched some clips, uh, remembered some moments and I was kind of firing at the hip here with my ratings. So this is completely subjective. In fact, you know, I mean, we've kind of been asking this online before, but we also would love to hear any listener, like what your rankings of favorite episodes are. I mean, I think the quest is going to be a big favorite, but I would be surprised if you have a favorite outside of those big episodes. Uh, let us know, you know, let us know what you think of, um, some of the hidden gems of season six. I will say I am very surprised, you know, I expected a lot of fans of Northern Exposure to say, oh, I, I, I nope out after the quest, but I'm actually surprised when some people say like some of my favorite episode in season six is uh, after the quest, you know, things like that. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that always interests me. All right. So we talked about season six a whole lot now. I think we've dug it over, turned it inside out. I think we got a pretty good picture of where we land on it. But what would you say is your favorite season overall? Favorite season overall. This is tricky. I think we've kind of talked about this before on the podcast. So I don't know if my favorite has changed, but I always say to anyone who is curious about Northern Exposure, just start from the first episode. You know, it's a short first season. You know, you'll know quickly if you like it or not. And what's also great about ending season one is that season two is like just as short, actually one episode shorter. And I think just as good. Uh, so those are incredible seasons of television. I think they were already like breaking the rules of TV and like uh, trailblazing like a new path in those, those first few episodes, you know, but, uh, what I'm trying to get to here is I think season three might be the best. It's, uh, the first full season and not every episode is a favorite of mine, but so many great moments come from that season And this is not to belittle season one or season two, because those are also my favorite seasons as well. But season three just feels like, you know, season one was like an experiment. Season two was kind of like, uh, you know, maybe letting your hair down, stretching out, kind of getting comfortable. And then by the time we hit season three, like they know how to create a great episode and they're just going to keep churning them out. Yeah, I would agree with you on that characterization, though I would say that for me, I think that season one and two, though they are called that, you know, by the books, it's called season one, season two, I would characterize them both as quote unquote season one. That makes sense. And yeah, yeah, and even then it's kind of like not even because I think together it's about 15 episodes, which does not constitute a full season order mm-hmm. uh, what it was back in the 90s. But let's just say for generosity's sake that that is season one. Then season three would be the season two. And season two is historically <laughs> in television, usually one of the strongest seasons because that's mm-hmm. when that's when you have a good grasp of the characters. That's when you're still early on. We can do some very fun experimentations. I I hold to it that I think that season twos are generally the best of what you're going to find. But for me, for Northern Exposure, I was struggling between season three and season four. I think I have to give it to season four because I know that they got the introduction of Mike Monroe. (laughs) I I, I know that it 
you know, like the finale of that one is sad. It's old tree. It's not really one of my favorite finales, honestly, but it just has a lot of great episodes within it that made me realize how special that one was. So you got cottage for uncle Manny. That's a really big one. Mm-hmm. Everyone really likes that one. You got Northern lights banger one mm-hmm. right there. Everyone yeah. loves it as well. It went and Thanksgiving. And of yeah. course my favorite gross point four, eight, two, three, zero. Oh yes. That's such a good episode. <laughs> we had a whole, we have a whole Patreon on that. So, uh, I mean, yeah, we do a, a bonus episode each month. And one of the months we just wanted to talk about gross point four, eight, two, three, zero. We also talk about the movie gross point blank in there as mm-hmm. well. Uh, so if you're curious to hear that, you can find it at patreon.com slash Northern overexposure podcast. But I, I, I want you to talk more about season four, Charles. I'll just come in quickly to say, I think even though I mentioned season three is my, my favorite, I'm saying now, I think they're still doing amazing things and like reinventing television in season four and season five. Like it's the show doesn't ever really lose that playfulness and creativity even after season three. Right. And I don't have much more to say on season four other than the fact that it's opening episode is really good. Northwest yeah. passages. That's one mm-hmm. with Maggie. Uh, and she's seeing all her past boyfriends and Patrick Warburton's there is one of them. Just fantastic. <laughs> and yeah, you just have a lot of memorable stuff through that there. I, I want to talk about that real fast. I always remember it has such an interesting structure, that episode, because there's like a moment that it feels like it has like a third act or something. It has like an extra act where Joel and Ed are like, we have to save Maggie. And it becomes like this action chase where they're like, canoeing paddling down a river to try oh, to figure out where right. Mike is. it's really cool <laughs> and yeah i know that i brushed over mike monroe right there and you have to mention him if you're mentioning season four you gotta do it but i'm trying to recollect exactly what i said about him in our season four uh, <laughs> retrospective yeah i want to say that i did not dislike him uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know and i'm trying to remember all the episodes with him and all that i feel like um our opinion of mike monroe is that we definitely like the character, maybe ultimately disappointed with like how he's used. It doesn't fully add up to the promise of Mike Monroe, but I think we do, you know, we cut him some slack. We don't dislike him. We don't want to like completely excise him from the whole series. Right, 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 right. All right. So I don't think that it's a big surprise if none of us say that Mike Monroe is our favorite character or even within the top five or top 10. <laughs> but if we had to narrow it down, Between all the characters in Northern Exposure, who would you say is your favorite one? One of the great things about Northern Exposure is that it is like an ensemble, you know, character-driven show. It definitely becomes that as well, like as it gets deeper and deeper uh, into the series. And so many of these characters uh, are so fleshed out. They can kind of hold, each of them could hold the A plot, you know, the main plot of the episode. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I can't say that there's any character in the main cast that I would dislike if there was an A plot. Like if there's an episode, it's like, oh, this is Ruth Ann's episode. This is Ed's episode, Marilyn's episode. I would be really thrilled. Like any, give me any episode that would, is just one of those characters. It's still amazing. But the, also the beauty is in the interplay as well and, and how they relate to each other and show differing sides and opinions. Uh, to cut to the chase here, I think my favorite character has always been Chris. When I first watched this show, I was just a little high schooler, 
nerd, interested in philosophy. I think Chris can be overbearing to a lot of people. And I also feel that way sometimes. It's a little much, but God, I love John Corbett. He's always been really charming to me as an actor. And uh, he pulls off that character really well. This is not to downplay the acting talent of Rob Morrow and Janine Turner. They're so incredible. Their characters, but also the actors are so freaking good. I'm like, I probably have said this before, but I'm like completely, utterly surprised and disappointed that Janine Turner never won a Golden Globe or something like that. Mm -hmm. She's... I think maybe my favorite actor, like talent actor in the show. It's hard because Rob Morrow also is, ah, God, he's so good. There's just so many different things about Joel Fleischman that I think Rob Morrow nails. Mm -hmm. So this is a big way of me. This is a way of me casting a big net over a lot of different characters. I'll go with Chris, but I want to toss it to you, Charles, and get your thoughts on the, on the cast here. Yes. I'm going to do the totally brave opinion of saying that the main character is my favorite one i know it's yes. very no very, i'm so, so yeah i'm taking such a risk by picking joel fleischman but yeah honestly you know without the lead you really can't sell the television show as a whole and if it wasn't for rob morrow's efforts if it wasn't for joel fleischman coming onto the screen i don't think that i would have been hooked into northern exposure especially in those early seasons where he was largely the main character until they started tossing it to the other people and saying like oh they can also carry an episode like it doesn't have to be centered around joel so it's not like his character has never been done before like a fish out of water fella who's very neurotic and doesn't want to be there and has to warm up to everybody and is more used to the fast lanes of New York compared to the simple country folk. Like that's not, it's not a new archetype. We're not breaking any huge new ground right there. But I think the thing that I really appreciate about Joel is that it, it takes a very long time for him to warm up to the town, but it's not like he completely buys into it. That's like kind of a neat thing about him is that he's yeah. still at the back of his mind still has like a little bit of reservation about the actions of the other characters. And that's not to say he doesn't love Sicily. It just means that, you know, he still retains the characteristics of who he is from episode one. Now, there are parts of him that do change that make him more appreciative of the place. Like, for God's sake, he, he gets uh, ordained's not the right word, but. It's the episode where oh, he, he joins the, the tribe. Of a tribe. It's inducted. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And that wouldn't have happened in episode one. Like it took a long time for him to get there. It takes a long time for him to accept the eccentricities of the townsfolk. And I, I want to say like, you know, there's an episode in season five where he just talks with Walt outside of a store and they're just <laughs> such eating a peanuts. good moment. Yeah. And he, yeah. he's really, you know, starting to understand what it means to take it slow. So yeah, I think it's a combination of that stuff that makes me really appreciative of Joel Fleischman and makes him rock it up to number one for me. He's so good. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're saying like, oh, it's an easy answer, but I mean, it is such a complex character. Um, I'm always worried when people say, even fans of the show, people who are watching the show say, I just can't stand Fleischman. And I think... <sighs> Like, I definitely, I definitely understand that. I think part of my enjoyment of his character is watching him suffer too. Because, <laughs> I mean, I don't think you're supposed to side with him a lot of times. He's, he's mean and cruel and an idiot and just like selfish a lot of times. But I do worry that people who are, who are find Joel 
too abrasive. I wonder if they would like the show, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong too. I think maybe people who really love the show also have that opinion. That could just be me, um, my, my point of view, but yeah, that is, that is part of the, uh, maybe I can just speak from my own perspective is, uh, that's part of the magic or part of the, um, just the master stroke of that character is making something like that. This total, this person should not be here in Sicily. It's almost like, like he's ruining Sicily by being there in some ways, you know, you could say that, but, um, it's great to see him there and see how he affects the town and how the town affects him. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just like a simple trope, but it works. Right. I I do want to talk briefly about, um, you know, the overall structure of Northern exposure and how, we don't really have television shows like this anymore. And I don't mean like, oh, like it gets really kooky and it's got dream sequences and all this. I mean, like you get like a 24 episode order of people just slowly just growing and it's very episodic and it's not really driven by a serialized overarching story arc. Now we talked about this on the Patreon that we just did about series finales, but I do want to emphasize this again and how, how comforting it is to watch Northern Exposure and be brought right into the town with these characters that you know, you identify, you, you get what they got, and you know what they want. You're able to turn it on and maybe even go to bed with it playing in the background. And, you know, I, I just really miss this type of television because nowadays it's mostly dominated by streaming services who. They do not have the budget, nor the time, nor the inclination to want to go five, six seasons of 24 episodes. They want to get eight episodes, nine episodes, bang it out with an overarching story arc right there. It's serialized. Bam. Right then and there. And, you know, sometimes they don't even have an ending because they cancel it too early. So you're just left with half a television show. I just think there's something very magical about these old television series that are allowed to get to 100 plus episodes and that we can still enjoy them years, decades down the road. Yeah. I mean, this is a big conversation, but I agree. It's like um, versus a, uh, a serialized show with a eight, eight episode order, you know, this show with 110 episodes, Northern Exposure, you got time to really sink your teeth in. Don't have to worry necessarily about forwarding like the, the, overarching plot. You can kind of live in this small town, even without trying to make a growth in the character over the span of a season, it just happens. And that probably also informs the writing. You know, I imagine before they start shooting season four of Northern Exposure, they don't have all the episodes written, you know, they're figuring it out and they're seeing the episodes. I know that the, uh, like a large part of the production was based in like around Seattle. And then a lot of the like producers and writers are probably in LA. So there's kind of a disconnect there, but I mean, even if the writers don't visit set regularly, like they see the episodes and the producers kind of see what's happening. And, uh, you know, the fans, the, uh, watching the show, uh, loving the show, like you can kind of like evolve the show as it's, as it's airing. Whereas if you got like a, a so like a series on Netflix. That's a, like an eight episode series. It was probably pitched and there's probably like a big outline. Maybe not all the episodes are written before it gets bought, but, uh, probably have like a beginning, middle and end charted out in some way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. Right. 
And I know that we're talking about just a structure of how it's being assembled, but I mean, I would be doing Northern Exposure a big disservice if I wasn't talking about the content within. And so, you know, it, it differs from the other television shows that are much more concrete on how they want to get their points across. In Northern Exposure, there's usually like two or three plot lines that are just running throughout an episode. And there is subtext within the dialogue and in the directing that they're trying to get across to you while maintaining a very broad point that everyone understands, which is, it's not like that never happens nowadays, but it's less common now. So when you look back on those earlier episodes, seasons one through four, you can really see what they're trying to say just from like the specific ordering of their words. And you can see like, oh, okay, like there's a broader idea here at play and you just have to rewatch the episode or just really pay attention to what they're saying in order to grasp it all because they're trying to tackle some heavy stuff that you don't even get now in 2024, much less in 1990. Yeah, I do like how Northern Exposure doesn't always present like a big climactic point. I mean, I think a lot of them do. A lot of the episodes do, but then there's a lot of episodes that uh, are kind of more meandering about ideas and uh, situations and kind of get you thinking. And I think that's a lot of what Chris in the Morning does. You know, he poses these questions on air and something you said just reminded me, and I could be misremembering, but there's like an episode where the end of the Chris plot line is kind of like, isn't it interesting how we like ask ourselves questions? Like we, we like basically he's trying to figure out uh, if I'm remembering correctly, it's an episode, um, the gift of the Maggie, uh, season five, episode 19, where he's like, mm-hmm. his storyline is he's like trying to shoot a buck, like a deer, and he just can't pull the trigger. And the whole episode is, he's like trying to figure out what's stopping him. And I don't think, he, <laughs> I mean, there are some, there's some ways you can interpret it and figure out like, or you can come up with, okay, maybe this is why, but I think in the end, Chris is like, I'm not really sure what's going on here, but isn't that interesting? Does this sound familiar? I'm, I'm yeah, kinda, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not making a lot of sense. I can hear myself, but <laughs> I, what I'm trying to say is like, there are plot lines in Northern Exposure that literally don't have a conclusion sometimes. Right, 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 right. Or they want you to draw your own conclusions mm-hmm. to it rather yeah. than just serve it up to you. Uh, so like a really big one that we always like to talk about, and you shoot, we even wrote a video essay on it, is like uh, Soapy Sanderson, mm-hmm. where if you're even just reading the log line they have for it on Wikipedia is wild. Like, <laughs> I want you to try to picture this on a television show in 2024 where it says, an old hermit dies, leaving his land jointly to Maggie and Joel, who have radically different ideas about what to do with it. She wants to create a nature preserve while he has been approached by rich natives who want to buy it. Joel tells Maggie about the offer, but conceals the fact that the natives wish to use it as a tax shelter. Ed tags along as a film crew works on a documentary on the deceased Dr. Soapy Sanderson. Like that, (laughs) that's got so many moving parts within. Like what? (laughs) Oh, so good. Um, Maybe this is a good time for us to, do you have like five favorite episodes of the entire series? Uh, I... It's difficult for me to like explicitly say like, okay, other than Chris Point, well, like it's very hard for me to rank them. I, I, I just have ones where I'm like, I really love yeah. this episode. I, I didn't necessarily rank them either, but I've got five that I could say. 
if you want to, mm-hmm. do you want to kind of go back and forth on some? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to start it off? Yeah. So, uh, I think, you know, I think what really got me into the show, I love the pilot episode. I like the ending of the pilot a lot, but what really got me into the show was Brains, Know How, and Native Intelligence, the second episode of Northern Exposure. I was completely hooked at this point. Just seeing the interaction between Joel as a, you know, doctor who studied, you know, these textbooks and interacting with a medicine man, uh, the witch doctor that is Ed's uncle Anku, seeing like, okay, there's a lot of potential here for how this sort of Western medicine point of view will mix with this culture of Sicily, Alaska. And um, we also get like a, you know, there's kind of a joke about it in the first episode, but to me, it's a pretty good um, little budding romance between Maggie and Joel in this episode, uh, which only gets further uh, as, you know, further more involved as, as the season goes on. Like Soapy Sanderson is great with their relationship. And then we get the introduction of Chris, which who I already said is my favorite character. He comes in, uh, in this episode. That's the one that really hooked me, I think, and will always be one of my favorites. And I think it's a good example of one of my favorite aspects of the series, the medicine. Right. Uh, Joel, I mean, it's not always a big part of the show, but I do like it seeing that side of Joel. Mm-hmm. And I think this is exactly where Northern Exposure takes off. Like, it's not the pilot. The pilot is just introducing us to the setting and to the characters. Brains know how a native intelligence is where the show says, okay, now this is what we're about. We're mm-hmm. all about talking about the differences between like a medicine man and Western conventional medicine. We're talking about Walt Whitman's homosexuality and whether that <laughs> should be broadcasted on the air. You know, we're, we're talking about these stuff that like you're not going to find this in another television show in this era. Like you're you're just not. We're tackling something that's different. And yeah, I agree with you. That was not within my top five. But I will say that like. That is a wonderful episode right there. (laughs) Uh, I'll do one which like most likely is not a crowd favorite, but like, what's the word I want to use to describe it? Like one that like most anybody who knows about Northern Exposure knows about this episode. Mm -hmm. And it is War and Peace in season two. And the reason why is because it totally breaks the fourth wall. Like Tart Stop breaks it. I can for one say I like had never seen anything like that before. When I watched the show, it's like, whoa, what is happening? Yeah, that is a very quintessential Northern Exposure episode right there. And yeah, I, I can tell you that like, you know, years from now, I'm probably going to forget the finer details of that episode, but I'm not going to forget how last five minutes of the episode, the cast steps in and says like, you know, we're not a show that kills people. We're not going to do that. <laughs> and we're going to talk to the audience about this. Very good. I'll go to my next one. I've got, this is something I've probably said many times is this is like probably my favorite episode of the series. I don't know if I could still say it, but uh, it's definitely my, in my top five wake up call season three, episode 19. Uh, It's the episode where we first get Leonard, Marilyn's cousin, who's a medicine man, a shaman. So we get, it's a very similar. My, my appreciation for this episode is similar to how I like brains, know how and native intelligence, similar kind of uh, dynamic happening there. But also like Shelly's egg story. Oh my God, I can never stop thinking about that. It's probably like one of my favorite moments in the entire series. Mm-hmm. It floors me. It's so good. And um, I remember the first time I saw this episode, I remember the ending when Joel is talking with Leonard 
and uh, they're outside Marilyn's house and Leonard's got, about to leave. And he's like, you know, he's saying goodbye after a week of uh, shattering or however, however long it was. Um, and Joel realizes like he's learned a lesson, took him back to his past, his days in rotation and uh, understanding that he decided to become a doctor because of helping people and that relationship of doctor and patient is important to him in some aspect. And that's something he wants to not let go of because he maybe is starting to forget that. And he's reminded, Leonard reminds him of that. And I remember that moment and I just remember the, uh, how they cut out to the wide shot. I know we talked about that a lot in the series, <laughs> but I'll never forget. I'm like, wow, maybe this is where I learned. It's like, sometimes you can just cut out to the wide shot at the end and just not say anything. And it's a no, pretty you powerful always, statement. Always shoot on the wide, man. Like always, I swear to, I swear to God, you will produce results that are always at least at the very worst mediocre at the very best. Exactly what you're talking about. You'll never be bad. That's, that's just me. That's my unfiltered, unqualified advice. All right. You take the uh, next one. Yeah. So I think that, uh, season five, episode 18 fish story. Oh yeah. I think that's a fantastic one. It's the one where the rabbi, I keep wanting to call him Rabbi Shmuley. That's a character from, from 30 Rock. It's a Shulman. Shulman. It's <laughs> Rabbi Shulman. He comes to visit Joel. And I love the scene of them inside the fish when they get swallowed in the third act. And they're yeah. just talking it out. And then like, I think they have to go through like a turnstile and they, they make mm -hmm. it to a subway. Yeah. And they just start hashing it out between both him and the Rabbi. I thought that was like, you know, it brought me back. Because we're deep in season five at this point. And, you know, there have been like a little bit of a decrease, a, a little less of the peaks that we're used to. And this brought it back and it reminded me. I yeah. was like, ah, oh, shoot. This is so good. Yeah. You can't stop after season three. I, if I'm, I'm talking to myself, like I'm saying that's my favorite season, but there's such good episodes to come. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just got to also shout out the representation of Judaism. Like I grew up as a weird, like Mexican Jew as a kid, like being Jewish in, a, in Southwest Louisiana was strange. And I just never saw that on TV or anything like that. And this is like a, you know, again, I was not aware of it at the time, but a massively popular television show in the early nineties in which the main character is Jewish. And that's like whole episodes are devoted to customs and practices of that religion. Yeah, I'm reminded that it's, it's maybe we could just like plug it in today, uh, plug it in right now that there is a scene in New Girl where they're driving down. It's the Christmas episode. They're driving down a, um, a street. It's got a lot of Christmas decorations. And one of the characters says, hey, Schmidt, look, there's a there's a menorah. Someone put up like a, you know, a little menorah decoration. <laughs> and then Schmidt goes, oh, that's so cute. Judaism, son. <laughs> <laughs> you got to find that clip for me. I'll, I'll punch it in. It's so funny. Like, <laughs> Schmidt, it's a menorah for you. Menorah. Oh, a menorah. Judaism, son. Okay, well, my next in my list of five favorites, um, no particular order, Our Tribe, season three, episode 12. I was going back to this episode today literally crying watching this episode. <laughs> I was so moved at many moments, but like I'm specifically thinking about, it's only like kind of a smaller part of the episode. It's like the B plot or C plot where Holling is cloistered up into the brick, all solitary. No one knows what he's doing. And he's 
got all these star charts. Maggie comes in to find him and he's got all these star charts and he's trying to find this missing star. I watched that scene on the roof with Maggie and hauling and it turns out like they actually missed the chance to see the star. Like it only comes out once every, I don't know, de- few decades or something, maybe century. And I just couldn't stop bawling. It was so beautiful. But this is also the episode where like all the different cast members, they get a moment in the episode where they're like looking up at the moon and talking about what they see, what they think about when they look at the moon. Holy crap. They're all so good. All those little anecdotes and stories, each of the characters, um, Ed is taking Joel, uh, to, to go see a vision because that's part of him become joining the tribes. He needs to have a vision and they're out in the woods. Such a incredible, there's multiple scenes of them in the woods and they're all really good. And then, of course, the ending when Joel is inducted into the tribe, it's just the way it's photographed is beautiful, like kind of close up on Joel. And there's so much joy. Someone like hands him like a slice of cake. And I think Maggie kisses him on the cheek. And it's all framed in that tight close up, just looking at the smile on his face. It's a it's that might be my favorite episode. I don't know. It's really good. (laughs) I totally forgot about that. But I remember that imagery, like I said, like. You got to have that moment that just lands into your heart. And that mm-hmm. that one's still there. It's still buried somewhere within there. Ah, oh, that one's so great. And, you know, speaking on that, this next episode is a very similar thing where it's not that I necessarily remember all of the plot lines that are happening within it, but I remember the ending of it that mm. makes it very powerful. And that one would be Northern Lights, mm. Season 4, yeah. Episode 18. You have the plot line of Joel going on strike because he gets his uh his vacation is denied <laughs> so good <laughs> so he goes on strike and then there's like a panhandler that comes into town mm-hmm. that joel also joins i want to say and chris has another spell of artistry where he wants to construct like this huge metal sculpture outside in the end he gets it all out throughout the town it's spread throughout sicily and they all hang the christmas lights above it and all the townsfolk come outside to witness this. And though they've done it a lot in Northern Exposure, but they just end on a shot of, you know, wonder. They don't, there's no dialogue system, like seeing things in a wide shot. That is one of the more pivotal ones in my brain that I think about sometimes. Oh yeah. It's a big moment. I think it's like Inya too, maybe playing something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really <laughs> it's good. It's a really good uh, combination there of the picture and the sound. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful moment there. Uh, it was kind of hard for me to choose more to p- select than like a, a five favorites. But um, I think one that I keep going back to that I point out to people who are not fans of Northern Exposure is Thanksgiving, season four, episode eight. It's like, this is, uh, to my estimation, the best Thanksgiving episode of television. I think because... There is that interesting, specific perspective that the show can grant to the tradition of Thanksgiving. You know, the the natives in Sicily have their own way of celebrating Thanksgiving and their own opinions and uh, mm-hmm. their own arguments against it, which I think is uh, handled in a lighthearted way. But I think it also acknowledges sort of a uh, a, a very dark uh, history of Thanksgiving you know, the past there. And and then, you know, we also get Joel's sort of um, joyousness surrounding this season. He gets broken down 
Uh, he's no longer white at some point. <laughs> that's part of the episode. <laughs> You're not white anymore. It's just one of those episodes that I can point to, to show other people and say, Hey, like, I think this is something that Northern Exposure did that no other show could do. I think. Mm. Well, speaking on that, my number two pick is also like the most Northern Exposure thing ever, <laughs> which is season three, episode 14, Burning Down Ooh, the House. Yes. That is, so yeah, good. fan favorite of that one. Everyone knows what the ending is. It's got that trebuchet with the piano and it hurls it out. And it's a cathartic moment where you just watch it, watch it crash into the ground, like gravity do its work and just let it pull into Earth's atmosphere. And, you know, it's not only just that, though. I, I think that like, that's the episode where Maggie's house accidentally burns down and they go through the rubbish of it and yeah. that's where they find it. Mm-hmm. But like, I think that's like a really cool imagery. And I, I remember just talking about this. And in fact, I remember where we were because I was one of the episodes where I came into town yeah. to talk about it. And yeah, I, I think that that one had just like the right amount of surrealness and also practicality. But also just beyond those two qualities, it had that pleasure in the Picayune where you knew that it can make a statement out of the most idle, smallest things. And, you know, if you're not getting something out of somebody just flinging a quote unquote cow, then like, come on, man. What you watching television for? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just sort of a visual feat. You know, at that at the end there, it's pretty incredible. Great episode. My last entry here in like top five favorites is a bit of a cheat because I'm nominating every episode of season two as my <laughs> part of my top five. <laughs> the reason I'm doing this is because I've touched on season one and season three and season four. Unfortunately, I, I didn't pick any from season five, but as you already as we already talked about, like Fish Story. Oh my gosh, so many great episodes in season five and season six, we talked about all at the beginning of this podcast episode. So I, I felt weird not including anything from season two and just looking at every single episode, I have to say none of these are bad. They're all, they're all just amazing episodes. I know it's the shortest, so maybe it has the easiest chance of not producing a dud, you know, just number wise, but they're really, Oh my God, this is an incredible season. Um, so I almost feel weird saying season three is my favorite, but I'm going to nominate all episodes in season two. There's so many. Yeah, I could talk. I could talk at length about each episode here. Yes. Season two had that great, great series opener. Goodbye to all that. (laughs) Yeah. And what I remember on that episode is the Dear John letter that Joel gets. And if I remember correctly, there was a dream sequence of him in the trenches. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's trying to like fight (laughs) off this warfare. And it's pro- it's not like the first one, but it is probably the most distinct dream sequence of Northern Exposure at that point. Mm-hmm. And I remember the ending of it where in order to give him closure, uh, I want to say like they try to reenact. Dude, that's one of my favorite moments in the entire series because yeah. it's just, yeah, we get to see Ed like making a movie here trying to. Uh, give closure. You know, it's something I had never really thought about. It. I hadn't really been in any relationships really that much at the, at the time. I was still really young, but it's like, God, that was like so important. And the fact that it really doesn't work at the end almost makes it so, God, so interesting. Cause it's like, 
Maggie is kind of dressed up and they're drinking their iced coffees like it's really cold. And she's like, well, <laughs> do you have closure yet? And it's like, no, but, uh, you know, can I buy a beer or something? It's like, I think Joel still feels like crap, but he's like, at least I got friends to hang out with. Like, this is not so bad. And I just love that as a launching off point into season two. You know, before I get into my top one, which we all know what it is, so it's not like <laughs> there's no anticipation right here. I was actually curious what people thought on IMDb because you know how you can see ranked episodes. All right. They're number one by I'm guessing. Let me guess. Yeah. Go for it. Sicily. Yes. Yeah. That's the one. It's actually not. Which is, uh, it's not my favorite. Yeah. That's gonna, yeah I, I don't think. I don't even think that would be my like top fifteen. I'll hey, be honest right here. They got a. They wanted Peabody. They, you know, it was a, oh uh, yeah, that's true. That's how they took it home. It's a, you know, it's a very, um, what's, how can I say this without demeaning it? Cause I don't want to, but yeah, I mean, it's just like, uh, it's like one of those episodes about a big issue, right. Or it's like, a um, I don't, I don't want to say anything wrong. So I'll just say that <laughs> I think it's a little heady and on the nose for me, a little over-exaggerated is maybe why I shrug it off. But, I mean, my God, what an accomplishment and what an amazing capstone for season three. Like, this is probably when they're the most popular during this and after mm-hmm. this. They do this, like, incredible period piece. And we get to see, I actually really like the actors for Cicely and Roslyn. I think it's a, I think it's a great move to be like, go back to see the origin of what happened here. And the way they frame the story mm-hmm. is really cool. Yeah. So, I don't mean to talk crap about it, but... I know that it is definitely, <laughs> I think it moved a lot of people and it, it, that it was designed to, you know, it was designed to make you think and feel empathetic, you know, feel empathy, which is why it deserves a Peabody, I think. Mm-hmm. And the other ones are nothing to sneeze at. Uh, you got number two, you have Spring Break from season two, episode five. Number three, you have Aurora Borealis, the season one finale. Everyone loves that one. It's a great episode. Number four is Slow Dance, also from season two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number five, this one, this one was a big surprise to me, but I do remember this episode season four, episode 21, the big feast. That's the one where, uh, Adam comes in to cook for Maurice's fancy party and they go into like that wine cellar and such. I remember this episode, a good episode that would be made even better if they kept in one of the deleted scenes, we talked about it on the podcast and I think we, we also uploaded it to our YouTube channel which is probably just youtube.com slash Northern Overexposure Podcast. Or if you search Northern Overexposure Podcast on YouTube, you could find the channel. The video may be blocked in some countries, but it's not, um, it shouldn't be blocked in the US, but there's like a deleted scene from that episode that I think really uh, is very important for Joel and Maggie sort of romance and what's going on with them at the time. Do you sort of remember that or no? No, I don't. It, it's uh, too much to get into here, but um, I think it's like a, I, I'm just appalled that they deleted it from the episode. I don't know if it was to save time, but it doesn't like necessarily need it in the episode for the episode to make sense. But I think it really helps give a little more juice to Joel and Maggie's relationship. Flashman, would you do me a favor? Sure. Could you still be mad at me? <laughs> you, you want me to still be mad at you? Yeah. Yeah. You can just act if you want to. Why? Well, because it makes things easier for me. What do you mean, things? You know, you know, you, me, it, this. It's just, it's a party tonight, you know, and I wanted to have fun. So if you could just pretend, if you can't get the real thing, you can can just pretend. (laughs) All right, 
Yeah, um, I, I guess I can do that, O'Connell. I could certainly be mad at you, so. You sure? Yeah. Good. <laughs> Thanks. But yeah, that's it. That is a good episode. Is that the, because you were just talking about the wine cellar. Is that like the episode yeah, yeah. where they have a crazy like dolly shot in the wine cellar and like someone drops a bottle, like he maybe has a heart. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That might be a different episode. Shelly, Shelly breaks the, oh, uh, Shelly. Shelly breaks the bottle. Shelly breaks yeah. the bottle. Yeah. And they have to make the yeah, fake that wine. <laughs> I am surprised that it's like within the top 10. It's pretty good. But uh, yeah, it's coming in at number five. Number six, I can totally see this, The Quest. Yeah. People like to see Joel Fleischman's exit right there. Number seven, The Big Kiss. Season two, that. episode two. Dude, the one, yeah. one who waits. I, that is actually, okay, so this is uh, uh, some trivia behind the scenes. And I'm pretty sure I'm right on this. If not, we're going to edit all of this out. <laughs> but uh, The Big Kiss is the episode in which I forgot to hit the record button. No, yeah, it's true. One and only time I've ever done that. Did not. We were doing it live at my place. We recorded I, for I, like I actually an hour and a half, maybe. Yeah, I'm literally I'm <laughs> maybe literally 50 minutes sure or, I'm recording right or now. 90 minutes. I am recording right now. I'm, I'm, just, I'm making sure. Full I was like, crap. I, was like, I, was this like, is, I can't crap. do this again. This is like, <laughs> but that was one of the, the one and only time that it's ever happened. And so we go for an hour and a half. And then I totally, I'm like, holy crap, dude, the button, like the mic's not red. It's not hot. <laughs> we, we knew what we were going to talk about. We have just, we but just more streamlined. Over, we so we just immediately we started just recording it. again, but it actually yes. made it better. I thought, cause we were kind of it rehearsed, did, but we, we rehearsed it. But like by the time we did, it was like 1130 when we restarted <laughs> it, 1130 PM. So we were like, oh, like, God, let's just go again. And we just went into, went into the night to record that episode. Uh, but yeah, no, um, I still remember the snowmobile that Chris rides on oh, wow. for that yeah, okay. for that episode. Uh, number eight, season three, episode 10, Soul Mates. Mm-hmm. Yep. Famous episode where Maurice gets to meet his son, uh, Duquan, coming in for Korea. We kind of talked about this one recently on the uh, Patreon, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Revisiting that was our it. Christmas one. It was just revisiting it for uh, Christmas and... Yeah, it's mm-hmm. really good. Yeah. Fantastic episode right there. Totally deserves its spot at number eight. And, and by the way, when I say like their quote unquote their spot, the last four episodes are actually all tied in score. They're all 8.5. It's just the way they arrange it is based on the number of ratings. So the big case has 337, Soulmates has 290. And going into number nine, it has 273. It's burning down the house. Yeah. Like I said, fan favorite. Everyone loves that catapult. And then at number 10, also an 8.5 at 239 votes, is season four, episode one, Northwest Passages. Really is a great app. Yeah, that one That one was like kind of close to being included in it. There's, I mean, a lot of them are close to being included in. You can't, it's hard for me to just choose five. I mean, I, I, Copped out and picked like the whole season two. <laughs> like, you know, I wanted to include so many because there are very good moments uh, throughout this entire series. Well, I mean, I'm going to do, you know, the biggest cop out. I'm going to say, you know, coming back into it, my favorite episode, Gross Point 48230. Mm-hmm. It's always going to remain one of my favorite episodes of television. And we talk about this all the time on the pod. But the reason that I love this episode so much is because. When you take your characters out of their main setting, which would be Sicily, Alaska, what you rely on is the strength of the writing for them. You no longer have any other thing to fall back on. So you have to have a mastery of Joel and Maggie. 
in order to get a compelling storyline out of them. And so we see for the first time Maggie's family that we've we, we've only really met her mother and father barely sometimes but now we're seeing her brothers and her sister-in-laws and all of her little cousins and and we're seeing this posh upper middle class life in gross point and how that shaped the maggie that we know now and not only that we have like this compelling storyline that talks about you know jeffy her brother and his unhappy wife steffi two characters that we've never met yet because the writing is so strong, mm-hmm. we care about them. We're like, holy crap. Like, the moment when she walks out on them, it's a great moment. We all buy into it. I think we probably mentioned it on the Patreon or maybe in the main feed, but it's kind of impressive that you can throw an episode like this, and at least in when I'm watching it as me as the audience, you know, you might you might expect people be like uh, tuning in and they want to see like uh, Ed and Ruthann and Marilyn and Holling and Shelly. We get this episode and they might be disappointed, but no, it's like, I'm super compelled. Like you're saying, it's like, we never met any of these characters before, but holy crap, are we invested in this moment, you know? Right. And that's what solidifies it for me as not only my favorite episode of Northern Exposure, but as one of my favorite episodes of all time. Like, up there, Mount Rushmore television episodes. I'm glad that I'm glad that Northern Exposure is in in the Mount Rushmore for you. I you know I didn't expect uh, that this would be your favorite show of all time by the end of the podcast. I'm not saying that it is, but I think it's pretty impressive to say that this episode is you're going to remember it as just one of the best pieces of television. To me, that's you know this show. I don't even know if I could say, is it my favorite show? I think it's got to be because I've spent so much of my <laughs> attention on it, you know, and my love for it. Um, but even if I can't say it's the best TV show, uh, it's just, um, I always used to say if I could make anything as good as Northern Exposure, that's like all I want to do. So it's the best, you know, I love it. Well, let's move away from favorite episodes of Northern Exposure and talk about maybe favorite moments on the podcast. There's, there's, we record, I mean, there's 110 episodes of Northern Exposure. We've spent countless hours recording the podcast and there's so many memories. It's also how very- How many, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, 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 go on. Were you going to ask how many, uh, how, how many- How many terabytes was it? Oh, <laughs> you know, it's almost a terabyte, I think. But I mean, that's not just that. It's a lot of other stuff. It's like, uh, you know, the Soapy Sanderson video essay takes up a lot of media. There's, you know, just the- Hard drive that I have, uh, Northern Exposure, this Northern Overexposure podcast, all the related media and images and videos and audio, obviously. I think it totals to close to a terabyte, <laughs> um, but uh, which is surprising for just audio. It's like just mainly audio. Um, but yeah, what I'm trying to say is like there's so many moments that I, if I could sort of remember them, there's no way I could figure out what episode of the podcast that it happened on. <laughs> but there's a couple of things And, um, you know, we don't have to, if you don't have too many, we don't have to spend too long on it, but I have a few things. And I think, uh, first off, we kind of already mentioned it at the top of this podcast episode, but honestly, uh, the fan mail and just, or just interacting with other fans of Northern Exposure online has been a favorite moment for me for this. Cause I've always loved this show and it's always been a favorite of me and, you know, my friend Jay, who's our friend Jay, who's been on the podcast, we watched this show together, but for the longest time, you know, this show was not available 
for a wide audience. Like it's only now on streaming for the first time ever. So it was always just a very sort of private love for the show. And if you ever meet a fan of the show, it's something really special. So the fan mail has always been really big for me. I'm not trying to toot our own horn here, but I don't know if you type in Northern Exposure into your podcast app, whichever one do you use, it's only two of us that pops up and maybe the executives, you know, they were trying to do some research. They were like, Hey, do we buy, do we buy the streaming rights for Amazon? They're like, hey, it's a <laughs> You're saying podcast. that we caused uh, <laughs> Northern Exposure to... <laughs> I'm saying that they do oh market research God. and they want to know. <laughs> no, I can't, <laughs> I cannot accept that praise. I would die happy. I mean, no, absolutely not. No, we, but we, I would say no. like, like <laughs> I would, yeah, if that, because that was our mission was to expand the reach of the show. I'm sure maybe we played some small part in that, but uh, wow. <laughs> if only we went viral on, we should have made a banger tweet that we should have sent Northern Exposure viral. We, we could have done it, but we, we missed out on that opportunity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, Lee, I think that getting the fan mail was an incredibly heartwarming experience for all of us. I love it whenever we get fan mail that we pose a question to the audience and someone will actually message us and be like, oh, it's because of like this, this, and yeah, this. Yeah, they That's answer why our questions because we don't Yeah, know. we're like, yeah, I was That's like, great. oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, I love that so much. Uh, one pivotal memory for me for this podcast would be the fact that when we initially started it, we were recording in different locations every episode Yeah, for like the first like seven episodes or something like that. So like one would be at my place, one would be at Lee's place, one would be at Lee's recording studio, one would be at our friend's pad in Lafayette. Like it would just, one was at my uh, landlord's apartment. <laughs> like I was oh, watching yeah, well, apartment. <laughs> you were, yeah, you were yeah. apartment watching. So we just recorded them there. So it had a lot of locations that made it just like an adventure every single time we would record. Yeah. And we, we've talked about this before. Uh, and one of our special episodes, I forget which one it is, but in the early days, we did not have any like good mics. We didn't have mic stands, equipment. really. <laughs> yeah. We had a toilet paper roll. And, and like a laundry we, we rack a, that we taped or like bungeed a microphone to a laundry rack. Yeah. But, sorry, go ahead. Talk about the toilet paper roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was bigger. It was a paper oh, to- towel uh, roll. Uh, paper towel, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a, you know, that could fit the mic into it. So you'd slot it into the empty hole. That's the mic stand, yeah. Yeah, that's the mic stand. Please don't touch it. (laughs) It did not work. (laughs) Yeah, don't recommend that strategy. Uh, But yeah, no, I I think that that was one of the most fun ways to start off a podcast. Yeah. Was doing that. Now, granted, that probably, that was not the best audio quality that we could have got. Right. (laughs) That probably hurt us in the long run. People (laughs) people listened in. They're like, "Eh, nah. (laughs) Yeah, we have a little thing at the beginning of our pilot episode now. Like we recorded a uh, an addendum just because it is obviously the most listened to episode. People are going to start from the first episode. Um, so just <laughs> go easy on us, you know, <laughs> with the audio. <laughs> well, we eventually, I would say, and we, I, I talked to you off the mic about this. Uh, maybe it took us till season three till we really started to like have a have a structure mm-hmm. to how we wanted to do things could, like, work and flow. how we wanted to do it. Yeah. yeah. I think that it took us a little bit, but and we got there eventually. And yeah, another aspect of the, the podcast, the philosophy there of expanding the reach of the show. I think it was really cool that we just got 
a new guest every episode. There might be like one or two that didn't have a guest, but yeah, I remember, I mean, at first I had all my closest friends and people that I could ask. And then at certain points I was reaching out to people I hadn't seen in a couple of years and, you know, just really trying to, uh, grab different guests and everyone uh, just that it's to me, I hope it was enjoyable to people listening to the podcast. At, at first I was kind of nervous that it wouldn't be a good segment, but I figured it's fun enough. But for me, it's definitely one of my biggest enjoyments of listening or creating the podcast was listening to each guest. And we had some really awesome guests. Obviously I'm completely floored that we got like people who worked on the show, uh, like Harvest Moon and Gordon, uh, Michael Lang returning multiple times, uh, David Schwartz. Oh my God. Like I never thought I would talk to David Schwartz and talk to him about Maggie's theme. That's mm-hmm. such an well, iconic. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, no, no! It's it is. Oh god! I mean, me and you both love that theme. Fantastic. <laughs> and he had you know he remembered how I went down. Uh, the best thing, the best thing about David Schwartz's uh, interview. I don't know if you. I, I cannot recollect if you edited down what he was saying. His was a particularly long interview, and what made it very long was that he would tell us stories yeah. of people that we obviously did, were not associated with. We are not in Hollywood, <laughs> but he would speak to us as if we were. He was like, oh, yeah, do you know, like, this fella who worked on, like, this original soundtrack? No, like, the basis for it? And we're like, uh, no. Like, <laughs> go on. <laughs> like, but please, I'm very interested. And he would just tell us story after story about um, – you know, like the behind the scenes of what it takes to create a soundtrack for a television show. Yeah. And he was very knowledgeable. He he's was a, very... He's such an interesting man to me, an artist. And uh, like I, we got in touch with him. I had like tweeted at him before, but we got in touch with him because I liked some of his stuff on Instagram and like he liked something I had on Instagram. So I just direct messaged him. And uh, I, I, the reason I'm saying this is because he's also a photographer too, and he's pretty good on Instagram. I'll can't remember his uh i think it's uh at decomposer and yeah i would agree with you lee i think that one of our biggest sales at least for us we never really <laughs> like pulled the listeners to be like hey do you guys like this segment too but like I hope for us this. it's yeah. yeah for us it, it was a really fun experiment to get all of our friends to really be a part of the experience as well and to introduce the show to them but also like it is just very interesting to put someone into that circumstance that <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know off the top of my head of any other podcast has done this because they're not crazy enough to. And you know, the part of the reasoning for why I did this originally is because I didn't know if it would last. I was planning to make a, a podcast for all, you know, we were planning to finish the whole series, but you know, I was like, maybe if I get my friends to guest on it, they'll listen to the podcast or at least they'll share it with their friends. That's so a solid, yeah, started, solid strategy. started that way, but I'm glad we did it because it is also, like you said, I don't think I've listened to another podcast that does that exactly. I mean, we might not be the first people to do this, but uh, it felt like a novel idea. I'm proud of us for it. Uh, but one other guest that I can't forget to mention, I actually... Also, just can't believe that this actually happened, but we got our high school English teacher on the podcast, and I'm so glad oh. we did. Miss McFarlane on, on a yes. season four, episode one. 
if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Post hurricane. Yeah. It was, was post hurricane. It, it was actually during Hurricane Zeta. It like uh, not a it wasn't a huge Oh, because it went to you. Yeah. Yes. In New it Orleans. It traveled to your direction. Right. In New Orleans, it wasn't a huge um you know, didn't have too much disaster, but I remember, I think that was recorded in the eye of Hurricane Seda because it lasted for <laughs> about 30, 40 minutes, um, the eye of the storm. And I mean, it was mm-hmm. just like kind of rain and thunder otherwise. It wasn't too crazy where I was, though. I'm I'm not sure if the storm had a catastrophic of effect elsewhere. But anyway, yeah, sorry. Miss <laughs> McFarlane, I still can't believe we did that. And I'm, I'm proud of us that we did. Yeah, I mean, we, we we talk about it all the time off the mic, and I'm sure we talked about it with her on the mic, is that she was a very influential figure in her life uh, that, you know, to this day still influences us on, like, how to write, how to structure your essay, or really to how to structure anything. I think she was, like, the first person to introduce that into us to be like, hey, there's, like, a reason that you have an intro and you have like a body and you have like conclusions and like, this is how you do it. We just never knew about it because we were 15 and idiots. And like how to, we read that book in class, how to analyze literature, like a, or how to read literature, like oh, an English professor. And that's probably what we're doing. Like we're just no, taking cribbing from that for every episode we watch of Northern Exposure. Yeah. No joke, man. That's like on my desk right now. Cause I, I wanted to pull it out. Because there was something on symbols that mm. I wanted to look up for mm-hmm. something unrelated. So I was like, oh, let me just pull this out right here. And so it's my old copy of How to Read Literature Like a Professor. So, yeah, for us, it was kind of like one of our first experiences of trying to find a deeper analysis, not just symbols, but that was a big thing she taught us, but just how to extract all the layers of what you're reading, you know, or what you're watching. And I guess I have one last thing I could I could touch on about. I mean, there's I, like I said, there's so many moments that it would be hard for me to pinpoint when it happened. Um, but I actually do have one, and it's not like the only time something like this has happened. But I remember when it happened, it has such a strong effect on me that I was like, I can I can never forget this. So I constantly think about it. But I'm actually going to play you. It's like two minutes, maybe less. Uh, we can mm-hmm. listen to. Uh, an older podcast. This is our podcast on the episode Oi Wilderness, which was um, season three, episode, I want to say like three. Yeah, season three, episode three. Here we go. Yeah, so Joel's afraid of wolves coming to attack him, according to yeah. some sort of Russian novel. And I tried <laughs> finding that novel, but I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't identify it. What did he say it was? He said that it's um, wolves that attack newlywed parties. Mm. Oh, yeah. But it yeah, turns yeah. out that that actually did happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In 1911, 118 people died to wolves at a bridal party after riding in sleds, which Where? is specifically what uh, in St. Petersburg oh. in Russia. And that's specifically what Joel was talking about in in that hypothetical novel. So, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, that is incredibly. Well, if you search wolf attack on Wikipedia, <laughs> there is a listing. <laughs> is there a Wikipedia page of wolf attacks? <laughs> is that a category? How does that occur with such frequency? Yeah, there is. It has, uh, you know. Not including the bibliography, uh, further reading references and external links. There's like six different chapters, each with their sub chapters. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) hold up, dude. There is a bit of interesting. (laughs) 
okay. information I can I can tell you. So Stop, dude. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is, that's a ridiculous thing. <laughs> so apparently, uh, by the 1970s, there was like a very there was a pro wolf lobby. Like wolves are just animals, and they're whole yeah. I was actually I was just thinking about that <laughs> the other day. I was thinking about like best moments in a podcast, and that one got me good. That one, <laughs> it is so ridiculous. Uh-huh. That that would even be a Wikipedia article. That, that makes it so funny. Uh, another moment that's very similar to that is um, we were looking into the Zodiac Killer. Oh, yeah. And if you type that in into Wikipedia, it shows Ted Cruz. <laughs> but it shows Ted Cruz's Senate photograph. It's an official one. And it's so <laughs> funny to me. I love that. Like, it shows like that. I love of all the photographs, they chose the official one. I love how much Wikipedia makes us laugh because also uh, the Wikipedia photo for Moultrie Patton. Let's let's see if they've changed. Oh my it. god! I, I Please tell have. me it changed. There's no, yeah, they did. They took the picture down. It's no longer. Oh man! It used to be his tombstone. Which what is, is like it why it's there's no picture. Which oh, I mean there are oh. tons of great pictures online of him like. Sitting in front of a grand yeah. piano, you know. But uh, I think this is better to have no picture than to have the- <laughs> <laughs> <a> tombstone. <laughs> uh, um, oh no, they changed it. What? What do you I mean? just I just googled it. The Ted Cruz Zodiac Killer yeah, meme Wikipedia uh, page. It is no longer yeah. his official set of photos. It's just him wearing a button-up shirt. That's not nearly yeah. as funny. Oh my lord, that's so hilarious. There's oh also gosh. there's also like a bunch of things from editing the podcast that I remember, um, especially like in the earlier seasons when like I would put in like royalty-free music or um like I don't know, like have little I remember like Welcome to the Flower Shop Welcome was like a bit that shop. we no. did every once in a while where you had uh I thought it was really interesting. We talk about like the symbolism of the meaning of flowers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there is like a there is a language, I guess flower language or Flowers do have meaning, you know, beyond just their color and what they look like and smell like. Other things like, um, you know, like dog watch. There's lots of dogs in Northern Exposure. But a lot of little tropes that arose over the course of us making the podcast and just kind of talking about similar ideas again and again. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of running jokes right there. And uh, it ends with dogs running, does it not? Yeah, that's in part of the uh, the closing montage. You see two dogs chasing each other down Main yeah. Street. Yeah, uh, it's a good yeah, yeah, yeah. shot to include. I think uh, this one's a really minor one, but so I, I guess we could just end on this one. Is that occasionally we would get data on where our podcast was? Oh yeah, popular at or like what what cities, what countries were really tuning in, and I, I was always really curious, like. Who is that one fella in Japan that is listening to us? Like, who who is this? Who is this guy who is listening to these two numbskulls in Louisiana talking? Or like, yeah. we would get like some from like uh, Croatia. We even get fan mail countries. from. Yeah, we even get fan mail yeah. from. Uh, I mean, obviously, we have listeners in the UK as well. I think that's it's pretty popular. And I, that always amazed me. You just don't realize how like literally anyone with a working internet connection can just tune into you. And so that really caught me off guard. 
every single time I would like occasionally check in on it and be like, wow, the people of Shibuya are really <laughs> tuned in. Like they are, they are buying what we are selling. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Very humbling. Uh, very inspiring. Well, uh, Charles, I think we can, uh, kind of move to the end now. Uh, the end of this episode, is it the end of the podcast? Is there going to be any more episodes of Northern Overexposure podcast? We kind of talked about this, Charles, off mic. And um, I mean, we can also talk about it on mic here now as well. Uh, I, I don't necessarily have any deep interest in redoing, like going back and watching, you know, talking about the episodes again. I think we really put a lot of effort into every episode, even the early ones. And I think if I tried to do it again, it's like I would just kind of hit a lot of the same things. I mean, there's definitely things that I would I would watch and, and find new meanings and new elements, but I would worry that I would just repeat myself too much if I redid every episode. But in the future, can there be more episodes of the Northern Overexposure podcast? I would like to do more um, if we ever got any celebrity guests on the podcast. I'm not going to stop trying. You know, I'll try to reach out to um, the cast members. I think that would be incredible to speak to one of them. But I do think it's possible for us. Um, there's a lot of people online on Facebook and just on the internet who worked on the show. And it would be interesting just to talk to any person at any level of the crew. One of my deepest regrets is... We sort of got uh, interest from the costume designer, Catherine Bentley, saying like, oh yeah, I would go on the podcast, but we tried following up and we, we didn't, I didn't give it the all of like trying to really follow up and schedule time and she's passed away already. I mean, obviously a lot of people who worked on the show have passed away. I think um, another one who passed away recently was Eugene, the actor who played Eugene. So uh, I mean, just, but anyone, honestly, I think it would be interesting to make an episode of the podcast where we get a lot of different people who worked on the show and interview them one by one or in groups or just talk to them about it. Yeah, I definitely agree. I would love to come back to the podcast and speak with anybody that was associated with the show, learn more about it in ways that we can never discern by ourselves when we just, you know, talk about it between me and you. And uh, there's other topics that we haven't touched on that we'll probably make it to a Patreon or maybe it's worth a main feed episode. Like I'd, I'd like to, if I think it's important to fans of Northern Exposure and if it's something I can share in the main feed, I think it, it would make sense to put it in the main feed. But uh, we intend to continue the Patreon at least for a few more months, maybe more. Um, you know, obviously if you're, if you're a member on Patreon, uh, now's your chance to to let us know what you'd like to hear. And even if you're not, if you're just want to listen to the main feed, let us know what we should do. How could this podcast continue? I, I don't intend to necessarily keep releasing weekly episodes, but I mean, maybe there's an idea out there. Uh, some other things I was thinking of, Charles, maybe this is a Patreon episode, maybe it's a main feed, but um, for the longest time, I didn't want you to uh, read the Darren Burroughs book. He wrote a book about Northern Exposure called Northern Exposed. Because I was worried there might mm -hmm. be spoilers, you know, about how the show would end. Don't Didn't want that to affect your, you know, every episode you watched of Northern Exposure was a fresh experience. Um, he also made a documentary uh, kind of going back to where they shot, um, where they shot Northern Exposure. It's called Return to Sicily. I think you've, I've shown you some clips from that. But, uh, you know, we should definitely talk about that at some point. Patreon, main feed, 
I did start reading the book Northern Exposed, and uh, I just got to say, like, I've always enjoyed Ed as a character, uh, but just reading the book, I have a new appreciation for Darren Burroughs as an actor. He just seems like a very committed, at least the way he writes about it, you know, <laughs> very committed and serious <laughs> actor. Right. No, I would love to dig more into that. Uh, yeah, that could be a very fun Patreon or main feed episode right there. You know, as a whole, though, I'm not too sure if we even know ourselves, like if we're doing another television show to analyze, because we said that we would want a television show that is very similar to Northern Exposure in that there's a lot of depth, a lot of things to mine from. We wouldn't want to do one. I'm like, I, I mean, I love it to bits and pieces but like let's say like parks and recreation there's probably a million podcasts on parks and recreation and as much as i love it i don't think it's on the same avenue as northern exposure so we would like to branch toward there if we could find a television show that was similar in spirit and depth yeah and i mean when we started this podcast there had already been a northern exposure podcast you know the alaskan riviera i think it mm -hmm. had been defunct for five years or more. I could be wrong, but it, it had, it hadn't, you know, it, it had finished. Um, but part of the reason why we did this podcast was I love the show Northern Exposure, but also I thought it could have, could have a fresh take on, you know, we're not the first podcast to have like a host who has seen the show and a host who hasn't seen the show, but also there's like that mission of expanding the reach of the show. And every show has a different guest, someone watching it for the first time. The idea of this show that has been lost to time. I mean, I know that there's diehard fans and fans who saw it back in the day who still watch it every year. So it's not really lost, but it definitely felt like it was out of the limelight. So we wanted to bring some more attention. So I think you're right, Charles, we want to find if we did another show, if we did another podcast about a show where we analyze it, we want to find something not necessarily like, oh, this has never been done, but we've got to find some unique approach to how we're going to do it. And, uh, I mean, yeah, obviously you kind of mentioned at the beginning of this recording, um, you were saying you're going to miss, you know, talking every week. So we definitely, we, I feel like we've gotten the hang of this podcasting thing. I'm not going to say I'm like, I still don't think I'm the best personality to have a podcast, but I think we're good enough at making a podcast that we should keep doing it. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of ideas floating around about what the next podcast could be. Maybe it's not about a television show, but um, if you have any thoughts on what we should do next, we're always open to suggestions. If you have any ideas on how the Northern Overexposure podcast can continue, I'm kind of calling this calling this a definitive ending, you know, but uh, you know, we might pop an episode in the feed every once in a while, you know, especially if we can get um, something interesting to talk about or some someone interesting to talk to, you know? Mm hmm And if the reboot ever happens... Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, God. We're there. We're there. We're like immediately. Open you up said, your feed. Like the episode will be out the next day. You said maybe in the Patreon or maybe in the main feed, you were like, uh, like if it airs, we're going to record the podcast that night. I mean, we're going to... We should... Oh, yeah. We might try. 100%. We might honestly try to do that. Yeah. That... We want it to be like fresh, just right. Like <laughs> you can watch that episode and then like wake up and then just you hear our thoughts. Uh, that would be my most ideal situation. Yeah, if you want more Northern Overexposure podcasts, let's push for more Northern Overexposure. Uh, okay, I know a lot of fans would also say, hey, let it lie. There's no point in rebooting it. 
you know, it would, it would probably upset a lot of people, fans of the show, if they rebooted it. But this is just my own opinion and I respect uh, all the other opinions as well. But I, you know, I mean, I, I would love to see, like, it probably won't be as good. It's probably, we might hate it. We might, it might anger us. But I mean, if it gets more people watching the original show too, that's a plus. I would, I would want there mm-hmm. to be a reboot. You know? Yeah. And also like, that's a very Northern exposure thing in a way. Like what other television show <laughs> is like getting their showrunners leaving at the last two seasons and getting in new leads and stuff like that. Like, you know, even if the, even if the reboot isn't great, I, we, I mean, we still had season six. Like that's, that is also something which most people would point to and be like, eh, it wasn't like consistently great, but it still had like some highlights and I think, you know, the same way we could look at the new reboot and be like, yeah, you know, it's a reboot. 30 <laughs> years old. What you looking for? We're not going to get that same magic again. But hey, isn't it fun to be back in Sicily, Alaska again? Yeah, man. I think it could happen. You know, I think it could happen. It's uh, especially with it coming to streaming. I think it's a, I think it's, it's something's there. But um, I want to sign off now by saying thanks to everyone who's listened to this podcast I know we already kind of talked about the effect of receiving emails and listeners, good or, you know, fan mail or hate mail. Uh, Just thank you to anyone listening to this podcast and to continue the mission of this podcast, introduce Northern Exposure to someone who has never seen it before. If you're listening right now, it's the easiest time in the history of the universe for someone to watch Northern Exposure I guess uh, maybe when it was airing on TV, that was probably easier. But, um, but you know, now you can watch every episode in any order at once on Amazon Prime. Uh, maybe not available in some territories, but hey, I think it might, it might, I'm hoping that it'll expand if it hasn't already. Um, so, you know, introduce Northern Exposure to someone who has never seen it before. And if you like the podcast, share it with your friends as well. You know, they're they're hopefully starting to watch Northern Exposure or maybe they already watch it. So, um, yeah, I guess I just want to end with, uh, with that mission statement and a big thank you to everyone who's listening. Yeah, and I would mirror that sentiment as well. Thank you for everyone that's listening and everyone who's ever wrote in to us. And I know that we like to end every episode, like a regular episode, by you asking me what the... <laughs> what I think the next episode is going to be about yeah. based off of the, uh, uh, the title. And I don't really have like, I mean, obviously there's no, no new episode for me to go off of, but if I asked you Lee, like, all right, so I'm going to give you a title <laughs> and you try to just summarize what you think it means. And I'm going to give it to you and say Northern overexposure podcast. What do you think this is about? Wait, I don't understand. Is this a new episode of Northern Exposure called Northern Overexposure Podcast or just the title? What what is just that? Just the title. Okay, okay. Yeah. Like the podcast. Yeah, yeah, like what do you This makes What sense. do you think it's about? Uh, it's about the TV series Northern Exposure and uh I think this just sounds like me us pitching it, but it's uh you know, it does <laughs> it does make me think of if something is overexposed, that's sort of a photography term, but also to um Maybe to uh, like spread the exposure, overexposure onto a bigger audience, you know? So to me, I think that was always part of the title, Northern Overexposure. It's the show Northern Exposure, and we're spreading the reach of it. We're spreading its exposure to new audiences. 
And it also uh, it also fits that it's uh, overanalyzing, you know, overexposure, overanalyzing the show. But yeah, that just sounds like our. Uh, <laughs> that just sounds like a log line. Yeah, that we. Always, it looks like I got you to say our log line yeah. one one final time right there that we say at the beginning of every single episode. Very nice, Welly. <laughs> it's been it's been such a pleasure talking with you. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, we can say goodbye for now. Maybe there'll be more episodes in the future, but goodbye for now, Charles. Northern Overexposure Podcast is edited by me. Our theme music was remixed by Matt Jackson. Thanks to B-Ball Y'all for the podcast artwork, and thanks to you for listening. If you'd like to write in, you can reach us at northernoverexposurepodcast at gmail.com, at northernoverpod on Twitter. And if you like the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash northernoverexposurepodcast. And of course, thank you for listening.